Welcome to YA Media, the Milford Youth Agency's media production podcast. I'm Dylan. And I'm Sierra. We are your hosts for today's topic on anxiety. Our special guest today is Laura Cleary, the Director of Youth Agencies for the Town of Western Connecticut. Welcome, Laura. I'm happy to be here. We're happy you're here, too. So I understand that you used to work here at the Youth Agency? I did. Okay. Can you tell us about that and, like, the work that you do now? Okay, so I worked at the youth agency from 2007 to 2015 here in New Milford when we were in the East Street building. And I was the educational counselor, that was my title. And I did a lot of different things. I ran groups at Sarah Noble School um, for kids at lunchtime who had some family issues going on. Um, I supported a lot of programs for parents and and facilitated a lot of programs for parents and um, worked a lot with some of the staff that are still here. Um, I even went on some of the ski trips, which was great and um, did some suicide prevention programs and was on the Substance Abuse Prevention Council. So we're today to talk about the topic of anxiety and how our listeners can get help for themselves or someone they care for. Can you explain a little bit about that? Well, let's start with the definition of anxiety because a lot of times we um, mix the words, right? We say anxiety, we say worry, we say stress. So um, if you try to Google that, you get lots of different answers. So my the way that I think about it based on what I've learned is that stress is more the external things that happen to you, right? So you have a big test or you have a project at work or your grandma's in the hospital, right? Or your dog is sick and that's stress. That's external stress. So like temporary? Um, it can be temporary or it can it can be chronic, right? It could be that um, someone in your family is ill and that's a constant stress, right? Yeah. Maybe they have a chronic illness. So it can be temporary, just like a, a midterms. Did you just have midterms here yeah. in New Milford? Yeah. So that's over, right? For a little while, you take a breath. Um, so that's coming to you from outside. And then anxiety is the internal response that you have. So you might have physical symptoms. Um, You might start to get really irritable. You might have trouble sleeping. You might um, get forgetful about things. Lots of different symptoms that you have that are really a part of this anxiety response that is really based in the brain, but then affects the whole body and is part of the fight or flight response that we have. So that's really what's going on with anxiety. And I really kind of use worry and anxiety interchangeably, and a lot of people do. Is there a difference between anxiety and just being anxious? And if so, like, what is it? Well, being anxious is, the way I think about it that might be helpful is thinking about it on maybe like a scale, like a zero to five scale. So if you have an anxiety, if you have a five, which would be really serious anxiety, maybe your diagnosis with an anxiety disorder and it's really interfering with your life, right? You're having trouble sleeping. Maybe you're having trouble getting to school. Um, it's interfering with your relationships. Um, that might be a five. Or maybe we do zero to ten because <laughs> that might be a ten. Anyway, that's on the one end. And then zero is where you're someone – I don't think this person exists who never gets anxious or never worries at all. Um, so where it's more like being anxious anywhere on that scale than sort of tips when you get up to like four and five into an, anxi- an anxiety disorder. Um, but all along the way, there's just different levels of anxiety that you have. And, and really the big thing is how much is it interfering with your ability to live your life? And you think about someone with maybe agoraphobia, where they're so anxious they can't even go out of their house, right? So it's really interfering with their life. Um, So that's more than just, um, I'm anxious, my stomach hurts because I have a midterm today. Um, And you can kind of see that difference. What are the signs to look for in someone with anxiety? So um, I keep going back to the idea of thinking of it as a scale, 
like a zero to five scale because a lot of the things that you see with someone who's has maybe even an anxiety disorder, like significant anxiety that is really interfering with their life and they've actually been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. Some of the things you might see with them, you know, problems with sleeping or eating, problems with relationships, um, real avoidance of things that, that, that scare them or make them anxious. You're going to see those in, in everybody to some extent, right? So for me, maybe um, I do a lot of public speaking. And so I get a little bit nervous about that and I might get a little bit, you know, upset stomach. I can feel it in my stomach and I might be a little irritable at home in the morning because I'm just kind of thinking about this and I'm a little nervous. Um, and that might put me at about a two, right? And then um, it goes away. I do my speech. I f I'm, I'm okay. Or I find a way to manage it. I do whatever I do, which I, I have lots of coping skills that I use that are personal to me that relax me. I take my dog for a walk. Um, so there, so I can take that down. Someone else might have very similar symptoms, right? The same kinds of things, but they're more severe. They last a long time, right? So then I'm worried. So then if you are my friend and you see me and you're like, gosh, Laura, just, she's just irritable all the time lately. I wonder what's going on with her. And she's telling me that her stomach hurts all the time. And so it's, this has been going on and there's really not a particular reason. You know, so, so it's kind of more about the severity of it, the things that you might see in just like a typical population that everybody experiences. But how often is it happening and how severely is it impacting your life? And for parents, I like to talk about this because for parents it can be even trickier because – Teenagers, just because it's part of their normal development, are often doing some of these things, like are maybe a little more irritable. I'm not calling you guys irritable, but can be maybe a little more irritable, are kind of distancing themselves from their parents, so might be a little less likely to, you know, engage with their parents. So parents sometimes have a hard time saying, well, what's normal, typical development for my teenager, my 16-year-old, my 15-year-old? And when should I be worried? And so often I say, like, well, first of all, you can ask for help with that if you're not sure. And also you can think about, well, how much is it happening? And maybe they're um, irritable with me because I'm their mom, but how are they doing with everybody else? Do they just, are the teachers saying they're also, they've also seen a behavior change? Are they having trouble with their friends all of a sudden? Are they getting in trouble at work? Are they retreating from just me going in the room more often, closing the door? Or are they sort of like backing away from everything? Do you see a trend in youth with these issues? The general agreement is that anxiety is on the rise. I mean, most of the surveys and, you know, there's the Child Mind Institute does a lot of research on that, the National Institute of Health. Everybody's saying, look, anxiety is on the rise. We're seeing an increase in anxiety in youth. There is a piece of that that could be the fact that we talk about it more and we ask kids to tell us about it more. And so that's good, right? So we could be just seeing it more and diagnosing it more. But even if that's true, we're seeing a rise in anxiety and not just in kids, um, in adults too. All right. So based on what I've just said, what do you see? What do you notice with your peers about anxiety? Do you see a lot of, of anxiety? Well, I've noticed like a lot of anxiety just because like, I kind of know what like anxiety is. Because growing up with anxiety, like, I kind of just, like, know, like, the symptoms. You know it when you see it. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, there's, like, kids that, like, they might not know they have it. Like, they'll do, like, the shaking the leg thing or just, like, be, like twitching their hands and, like, always, like, fidgeting all the time. So, like, those are the ones I see, but I don't know if they exactly know what, like, is going on with them. But have you noticed anything here? Yeah, I think I've seen a lot of my friends that are, like, struggling with, like, their feelings and them being anxious or maybe it's anxiety and, like, they don't know where to go. Well, I think those um, 
those physical things that you're seeing, yeah. um, again, you can't really tell from that whether someone is um, having just a little bit of anxiety about a test and mm -hmm. they're, they're okay and they're just managing it. Um, or they're really struggling. You can't really tell because yeah. they're fidgeting because fidgeting can even be a coping mechanism, right? Yeah. I get really stressed. I fidget a little bit and that helps me feel a little calmer. So it's hard, it's hard, it's hard to know because we, you know, in general people and especially in our culture, we, we don't really want to a lot of times show exactly what's going on with this. And that's good in a way, right? Because we don't, mm -hmm. we can, a lot of this, we can manage ourselves and we don't need to be falling apart. But the problem is, like you're saying, what about people who are really struggling? So it's not just a little on that scale of zero to five. They're not just at a one or a two and they're up at a four and they're not really sure how to manage it. And maybe they feel ashamed of it or maybe they talk to just their friends but they won't talk to adults about it. And it can be really hard for um, kids to know where to go yeah. and what to do. You can't always notice like the physical symptoms of anxiety, so the only way you could really tell what's going on with the person is if you're inside that person's head. What's going right. on? Right. Well, sometimes um, a kid could be going to the nurse a lot, mm -hmm. and that well, they could be physically ill, or they could really have a lot of anxiety, and that's why they're you know they're having stomach problems or headaches, and maybe yeah. they're even throwing up. Um, so you can't really diagnose your friends or your peers, um, but also the more youth and adults create an environment where it's okay to say it. So maybe not out in the middle of your classroom, but it's okay to go home and say to your mom or dad or go to your counselor or your teacher and say, I am really having a hard time right now. I'm not sure what's going on with me, but I'm having trouble sleeping. All I can think about is my grades. That what we want to do is get to where people can talk about it. And then you can help them figure out, well, how important, how serious is this? How much is this, this hurting you? What can we do? Because there's a lot, a lot that can be done. Anxiety is one of those mental health issues that we know a lot about. And we can, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a clinical social worker. But there's a lot of treatment. Really, the best treatment is um, CBT right now, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, which is kind of trying to get you to think differently in the way you respond to things. So there's there's definitely things you can do, but it's just this barrier between like having those feelings, having those problems, being willing to tell someone, and then getting the help, which isn't always the easiest thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how do you think we can make sure people feel comfortable um, like speaking out about how they feel? That's a big question. That's a big question. I think it's a little bit different as a friend or a peer versus as a teacher or a, um, a parent. But you have to be able to let the person know that you're open to hearing them and you're not afraid of what they're going to say. Because sometimes people might think, well, I don't want to tell my friends because what are they going to do and they can't handle it and then they'll feel bad. Or mm -hmm. I don't want to tell my mom because my parents are getting divorced right now and it's just going to be too much, right? So everybody has to be able to say, I want to hear what you have to say and I want to listen to you, um, and that's okay, whatever it is, right? If you um, are the star swimmer, and now you don't want to swim anymore, and you're too pressured by it, and you want to change sports, and I'm your dad, and I love swimming, like, I can handle it if you don't want to swim. So we have to kind of create an environment that says, I want to hear you, and I'm okay with it. I can handle it, and I want to help you. And sometimes people, especially with anxiety, can be very sensitive people, sensitive to their environment, but also sensitive to other people's feelings. Not always, but that can be a reason why you might be someone who gets more anxious. So then you're more likely to be like, well, I'm not going to tell them because then they're going to feel bad. And Is there any difference between genders and how anxiety manifests and how people deal with it? 
Well, the research says that girls um, experience anxiety significantly more than boys. I don't have like the exact stats in front of me. So again, that could be a little bit cultural that girls do tend to express their feelings more and are in general in our culture more willing to be vulnerable and talk about their pain or their struggle. Um, I hope that's changing. I think that's changing. But I think in general, what we're seeing is that girls are experiencing significant anxiety more than boys. And girls, um, there's a book called Under Pressure by Lisa Damore, D-A-M-O-U-R, that just came out like a year ago. She's a psychologist in Ohio, and it's a really great book about anxiety, and it's specifically about girls. And it talks about all these different areas where girls might experience anxiety with relationships, with school. So I recommend that book if anyone's really interested in that issue or is raising a girl who has anxiety, teaching girls. And I think girls can get really into that perfectionist thing, more, maybe more so than boys. I don't want to stereotype, but I think um, I know that I work in a pretty affluent area and um, a lot of girls are just really high achievers and they can get caught up in that struggle where it's just like only perfect is good enough. I mean, that's, again, where the people around them can be, you know, can be helping by sort of modeling mistakes and letting girls know that, you know, they don't need to be perfect and they're more than just their, their last grade or the last award. But so I think um, girls do show it in different ways. The positive side is maybe girls do show it a little more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are some tips for youth to deal with their own anxiety? So um, I do a lot of anxiety workshops for parents, and I kind of split it up into how parents can respond, be helpful in responding to anxiety, and then kind of what might be helpful to the actual person experiencing the anxiety. So I think... So I know with kids, like now, they're kind of struggling to figure out how to deal with how they're feeling. So do you have some tips for them for how to deal with their own anxiety? Sure, I do. And this is where I have to really take everything that I'm thinking in my head right now and and boil it down to a few things that I can offer because there's a lot um, that you can do to help with your anxiety. And sometimes it doesn't feel like that because of the nature of anxiety. So it gets you so overwhelmed. And so the first thing, which seems really simple, is just you have to ask for help and you have to tell people that you're struggling. Um, And even if it's a small struggle or a big struggle, a lot of times, again, there's some stigma around it or people don't feel or people are perfectionists and think they should just be able to handle it. um, So they don't ask for help. And even the people close to them don't know. Right. So they're suffering and struggling. But even parents and good friends don't know. So you have to ask for help. And that could be a counselor at your school. That could be your Uncle Joe. That could be your coach. That could be your teacher. That could be someone here at the New Milford Youth Agency. Um, so you have to ask for help in order to get help. And then there's also a lot of self-help things you can do. Again, it's that scale of zero to five. So if you're up at a four or five, I would say you have to ask for help because it's pretty hard to do self-help when your anxiety is that high. But, you know, if you're at a two and you just want to handle your anxiety a little better and you're kind of looking towards, you know, growing up into adulthood and you want to have some skills, there's some pretty good self-help stuff out now that didn't used to exist. Um, There's some, you know, apps you can use um, that tend to be seen as like meditation apps like um, Headspace and there's a free one. Headspace I like because the guy's from England and his voice is great. But that does have a cost. But there's like, Yeah, I really like it. And there's Insight Timer, which is free. And then there's one for younger kids called Smiling Minds, which is free. Um, there's Calm, which I think has a cost. And the thing about them is meditation is great. If you want to try a real start slowly on a meditation practice, that can be really helpful to build for your whole life. But these apps tend to have a lot of other things, like some um, guided meditations to help you sleep and just tips and things. So they're worth exploring um, if, you, if you're struggling with anxiety. Um, there are some books 
There's a really good book, which I forgot to write down. I don't know the name. I'm going to have, have the podcast put that in the links as a resource. But there are some good books that are specifically for teens to help you with anxiety. There's even some that are like workbooks. There's this um, Harbinger self-help series that has like these workbooks, which I know does not sound appealing to a teenager. <laughs> but you could use them just to kind of guide you. Like you, you don't have to like write the exercise in the book, yeah. but you could like think about it. You could go through and just pick and choose. Um, so again, I'll, I'll, I'll give you guys that resource to put in the podcast page. Um, and then the la- and there's just so many, but the last thing I'm oh, two more things I'm going to say. Just remember that stress and anxiety are not terrible. They can be good things, right? Because they're what gets you studying for your test. So it's two days before a big exam and you feel a little tummy ache and you you're kind of like, feeling a little overwhelmed and you go, oh, I have the midterm, I have to study. It's just your body signaling to you that you have something you have to do that's important, right? And working hard and studying and achieving things is good and, and the thing, getting to the goals you want to get to. So that anxiety gets you going, right? If I have a big project at work, I get ready for it. I get a little nervous and I get ready for it. It pushes me. But sometimes that signal is just off and there's really nothing to be anxious. You already studied and you're prepared and it's the middle of the night and you wake up and you feel like you're going to throw up and you can't get back to sleep, right? So that's when it's just like your the alarm system in your brain has kind of gone awry and you have to kind of remind yourself, okay, is this a real signal? signal that something I need to do something or is this just my brain noise and I need to ignore it right so it's like is it a signal or is it noise right because that alarm system that anxiety it can be great it can tell you that you need to do something but sometimes it goes off and that's when anxiety gets out of hand so stress and anxiety aren't that bad aren't aren't all bad they can be really good and the other piece of that is that you have to find balance so maybe the AP classes you're taking it's the perfect number of AT classes because maybe you want to go to a really prestigious college And unfortunately, what you have to do to get into those schools sometimes is a bit crazy for schedules. But you want to do it, and it's your goal. And so you you can decide to do all those things and be on, you know, the um, soccer team and be on the Model UN and have a part-time job. Um, But you have to find time for recovery. And there's, again, that book, Under Pressure, that Lisa Damore book. She talks about this analogy of weightlifting that like if you have a if you want to build up your muscle, your physical muscle, you weight, you can progressively increase your weights and you can do it and you can get really big muscles, but you have to recover. You have to build in time for recovery or it's not going to work, you're going to get hurt. So that's the same thing. The, the analogy is that look, if you have this kind of schedule, okay, that's what you want to do, it's your goal, you have to find a way to manage it, but you have to build in some kind of recovery time yeah. or, or it's not going to work for you. Yeah, for me, what I like to do is having a schedule to keep myself busy by doing things such as like hanging out with friends or working out. Those all seem to be a good coping mechanism. Yeah, I love that because what you've done is figured out the things that help you. And one of the things that helps you is keeping busy. But some of those things that keep you busy are recovery things. You know, you're not like busy all the time with like checklist things. You know, um, you're, you're, you're structuring yourself, but you're building in some things you enjoy and some things that relax you. But you learned about yourself that you don't do well with like a ton of just like nothing to do time yeah Yeah. like time to like overthink and yeah yeah Yeah. and you learn that you know that's that's experience with your own self you learn what helps you and what doesn't help you but you have to listen to your body and listen to your anxiety in order to learn that right Mm -hmm. it's good to figure out like what works for you and like to take that time to figure out because like not everybody is the same with like what works for them exactly very true 
So do you have any suggestions for like parents about how they can help their kids with anxiety? Yes. So one of the things that happens a lot with parents, and I know this was true for me, I have a daughter who's grown now, but had a lot of anxiety growing up. And my instinct when she was anxious was just to comfort her. And if there was something that she had to do that was making her really anxious, my instinct was to be like, oh, it's okay, you don't have to do it. If you really don't want to go to school today and you're making your stomach hurt, and like, I just want you to feel better. And not every parent is probably as extreme as me, but we tend to want to comfort, right? So I really had to learn that wasn't helping her because what we know is that avoidance really breeds anxiety. So if you, again, agoraphobia is the extreme example, right? You avoid Mm -hmm. anything that makes you nervous. So you stay inside your house all the time, right? I mean, you are really having a limited life. So for parents, I say, look, you have to help your child somewhat like face their fears, right? But not, not like throw them in the deep end of the pool kind of thing. It can be baby steps, right, towards approaching what's hard for them, right? So it doesn't mean that they have to, you know, if they're afraid of dogs, it doesn't mean you, like, throw in a pack of dogs, right? You might work either with a therapist if it's something serious or slowly on your own to kind of, you know, like, look at pictures of dogs and meet a really friendly dog and go watch the dog park and kind of move towards it. And there's lots of ways to do that with all kinds of anxieties, you know, however the anxiety is manifesting. There's lots of ways to do that. But just thinking about it, you have to move into it at least a little bit because the more you avoid the more you avoid and then you're just feeding your anxiety so I work a lot with parents on that how to do that like what that might look like and the other piece is just when you're talking to your child about anxiety you know you can just acknowledge the anxiety without kind of going down a rabbit hole with them about it you know it is really scary for you it is really scary for you to get on the bus and then you're moving forward on how you're going to do it but you, you can first just take a pause and be like I get it I hear you this is a tough thing for you to do you know. Well, like, say, like, Sarah and I, like, have, like, a friend that has anxiety. Like, is there anything mm-hmm. we could do to help them cope or, like, just anything we could do? Yeah, what I bet you already do have friends with anxiety that you try to help. What do you guys, what do you do already that's just instinctive? Well, I always, like, try to just, like, listen and just be there for advice, like, whenever. Just, like, always, like, be someone they could talk to whenever. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you know. I try to tell them what I do to cope with like how I'm feeling and see if that might help for them because with their like how they're feeling it might be difficult for them to try to figure out what will help them and like listen to themselves so yeah that's what I do. Yeah, I love both of those. So listening, of course, is huge. And that's just being a good friend in general. But if you know someone's having a little bit of a struggle, you, you're listening and just being like, I'm here. I'm like, I can hear you. Know, you can tell me. And maybe they can tell you and they can't tell someone else. And then um, I think I love the idea, too, of like, because it can be more well-received from a friend to say, well, you know, when that happened to me last year, this helped me. Or I have this app that I like. Or, you know, my therapist kind of suggested this and it really helped. And they might take that way better from a a friend than they would from maybe their mom or a counselor even so or even just like shooting like a simple text because like I know a lot of people like especially that have like, anxiety like don't really like opening mm-hmm. up like you said so yeah. like if you just shoot them a text to be like way more comfortable to actually like explain like what's going on through text and it's just easier to do yeah, I love that because it's kind of like it may be safer. Maybe yeah. it's a little safer. And also really texts mean that you can be supportive more often. That doesn't have to be this huge conversation. It can just be like, just like hey, I hope out. it's going okay. Yeah. Or, you know, remember I'll be out at lunch. After lunch I'll be here, whatever. Yeah, I like that a lot. Okay, well, um, before we were talking about like the range levels of anxiety, mm-hmm. like 1 through 10. Say like someone's like, like a high, mm-hmm. like a high number and they need like medication or like, 
Is there anything else they could do? Like, what's like the extreme measures for? Anxiety? Yeah. So again, thinking of that scale, however you want to picture the scale, at the end where it's really starting to be more significant, really impairing their life. Um, we see it a lot with school truancy, where a, a kid is really just anxious about going to school and so ends up missing a lot. Um, so anyway, when it gets to be significant enough um, to where you might be needing some treatment, that's when really for kids, really adults need to get involved because it would be pretty difficult. We don't have like a free treatment clinic here in New Milford or anything, so it would be pretty difficult to get to treatment. Um, although you can definitely go talk to a school counselor um, or someone at school without a parent if you're kind of needing some support to go to a parent. But there's sort of the state... The the com- most common therapy for anxiety is, is um, cognitive behavioral therapy. And then there's also medications that can help with anxiety. And, of course, that has to be figured out with a treatment provider what the best medication would be. It has to be monitored. And really all the research says that even if uh, even if you go on to medication for anxiety, you should still be in therapy, that the two together are really the most effective. So. There's a, a lot of ways to reach out for help, and I know that you were talking about how you might text a friend to offer them support, and yeah. there's actually a crisis text line that was started, like I think maybe like 10 years ago, because they started to see that kids would be te- would be using that, would be texting to get help rather than calling. So the crisis text line is texting 741-741, and then, you know, the crisis counselor will just work with you through text. Okay. So I know we talked about, like, parents and what they can do to help and like what they shouldn't do, like avoid. Um, Do you have any other tips for parents on like how to help their children? Sure. I mean, I do workshops on this, so I have a lot. So in some ways, it's hard for me to like narrow it down. But I guess another thing that I think of, especially when I think of parents of teens, is that you really have to keep the conversation going and make sure your child really feels it, that you're willing to listen to what they have to say, that even if it's something they don't want to hear. Um, and you can, And that can be hard with teens because sometimes teens are kind of acting like they don't want to talk to you. And I'm a parent. And I've had that experience. But you can still message to your teen that you really want to hear it. You're there for them. And then when they come to you to really just, you know, bite your tongue, hold your breath, take that pause and just listen to what they have to say. And it can be really hard because it can be hard when you're a parent and your child is in pain. You want them to be okay. But if they're not, they're not. And so they need to be able to come to you and you need to be able to listen and not just try to fix it or reassure them, oh, you're fine, honey, you'll be fine. You know you always do well in the tests. You know, you want to hear their pain. Let them know you're willing to hear it, hear their pain, and then just validate it, which just means I hear you. That's really hard. That sucks to feel that way all day. And then whatever next needs to happen needs to happen. Maybe they need to go to therapy or maybe they just need a little extra support, whatever. But at first thing is you have to listen and you have to hear them and not be afraid to know what's going on because you, you they may look fine on the outside and they'd be really struggling on the inside. Yeah, I feel like it's important to mention that like it's like anxiety like can be like with anyone. Like you can be mm-hmm. like the richest, like like well like off kid and still have like really bad anxiety or you could be like a really poor kid that you would expect to have anxiety but be perfectly fine so just like it's important for parents just to talk to kids because they never know like what they're feeling on the inside because even if they do seem like pretty well off like they can still be struggling yeah exactly and if the message you feel from your parent who 99.999% of parents like love their children so much and just want the best for them but if the message a teen gets from their parent is like this is who you are is these great grades these honor roll grades and who you are is the is the star of the swim team then they don't necessarily feel that they can tell you like you know what I'm really hurting and that's and I don't know if I want to keep being the star of the swim team there's this I don't know if you saw this um, show it's called sex education on Netflix oh, I love that show. so 
were talking about. I don't want to recommend it. I like it, but it would only be for older teens. But um, the reason I bring it up, because there's a storyline in it with this guy, Jackson. And I really like the storyline as a social worker in an affluent community because he's a swimmer. He's like a star swimmer. And he gets lots of admiration from his peers. His parents are really into it. He hates it. He's miserable. Like that starts to happen. You start to know that in the season one, that he's miserable. And then in season two, there's this scene that just gave me the chills where he is helping this other athlete with the weight machine and he just purposely sticks his hand in the weight machine and lets all lets his hand get smashed. No one sees it, but he you know he doesn't as this as the viewer, you know he doesn't on purpose. In order to get out of swimming, he smashes his hand, right? I mean, think about that. He couldn't tell anybody that he didn't want to swim. He did that to himself. And sometimes that's dying by suicide because you can't tell anybody. You can't figure out a way out. So that, to me, that story, and then, you know, I'm not going to spoil the whole thing to tell you what happens next, although it is kind of a spoiler. So the whole thing I'm telling you is kind of a spoiler. But he, finally, a friend finds out. He doesn't even tell his friends, but finally a friend finds out and she is like, I'm going to tell your parents because she understands how serious it is that you're willing to hurt yourself means, well, maybe you might be willing to hurt yourself worse or maybe you might even be willing to kill yourself. So she tells the parents and it's a really beautiful story, I think, because it's about friendship and it, but it really illustrates that idea of the ends that kids will go so desperate to get out of things because they can't talk to people around them. And this is a kid in this show that is beloved by his parents, supported by his two moms, had friends, you know, and he couldn't see a way out. And it really, there's a lot of research on this with kids in high achieving schools um, having stress levels as high and being at risk for mental health issues as much as kids in like high poverty, high crime areas. They're just Mm -hmm. different issues, right? And you could say, oh, that kid, he's got everything, whatever. But you know what? We want those kids to be mentally healthy too. We, we, We want the poor kids to be well and we want the rich kids to be well and the affluent kids to be well. I used to uh, do presentations for Sandy Hook Promise where we were saying to kids, you got to tell when it's something that's going to hurt people. And we would talk about how it's important to think about the difference between just telling because you want to get one up on someone or you're irritated with them versus telling when it's talking to an adult when it's something really serious. And so... I guess the point I would make with that is that obviously you want to keep your friend's confidences and you want your friend to trust you, but there's times when you know it's that serious. And so basically we're talking about suicide prevention in that sense. When you know it's that serious, there's times when that risk has to be worth it. And I think in that show, I mean, they did a good job of showing that, like that she was like, so it's a risk. It's a friendship risk. And I don't take that lightly when I talk about it, but I think, you know, it's important for kids to understand that sometimes you got to just... I don't know if you want to say that or not. But sometimes it's like if you know your friend is really hurting, could be saving their life and you know, by like telling someone, a trusted to, person that you yeah. know that you feel will handle it, like, you know, which can be tricky, I know, for uh-huh. teens sometimes to figure out who that is. But. And you know the parents will, like, help get them the help. And you know the parents, right. Yeah. It's not like you're going to tell the abusive father or something. Yeah. You're mm-hmm. telling, you right. Them in danger. So it's tricky. It's tricky thing. Yeah. Well, you're saying how the friend told the guy that was struggling with swims, mom, about like his problems and everything, but that could also be hard because um, not everyone like situation is right. So, is there any like, other ways you recommend like handling that? It is really hard. I mean, the whole situation is hard. 
right? So there's no real easy answer. My take on it is that if you know your friend is hurting themselves and you really think there's a risk mm -hmm. of them, you know, even making a suicide attempt or hurting themselves again, that sometimes it's the best friend thing to do to like go ahead and do what they don't want you to do and tell someone obviously carefully, obviously thoughtfully, someone that you think will help. It's a really hard thing to do and I would understand that nobody would want to do that lightly, but um, I think they do a good job in the show of showing that it's like a serious thing done out of out of caring and trying to help, not out of any kind of betrayal. So, um, but yeah, it's it's a tough decision. Um, do you recommend any other resources for our listeners that could get them help or like just in general? Well, there's so many resources. I mean, the New Milford Youth Agency can do referrals because there's a lot of good therapists um, if you feel like you need. And again, it doesn't have to be really intense problem for you to get a therapist to help you um, because yeah. a therapist could help you with even a mild problem. Again, I mentioned that book, Under Pressure, by Lisa Damore. That's a really good book. Um, I mentioned the crisis text line, 741741, if you're in a crisis um, and you're not ready to talk to an adult around you. There's a lot of, there's podcast. there's a, there's a mental health, a woman who does mental health, do you call it a video podcast or just, anyway, she has YouTube videos about men, mental health. Her name's Katie Morton, K-A-T-I-E, Morton. She could be good for teens because she really covers a lot of mental health issues, including anxiety in a really approachable way. There's some podcasts. I mentioned those self-help books. I mentioned there's some apps for like mindfulness and meditation. So there's just a lot. And what I can do is um, get you guys just maybe like a resource list um, and see what you can link to um, in the podcast because yeah. there's just a lot of help out there with this topic. Well, thank you for joining us today, Laura. Well, thanks for having me. No problem. Um, well, is there any way people that don't know you can reach out to you? Sure. Um, you can reach me. Um, you can email me at info at parenting the big kids, which is my own parent education company. And I'm happy to send you some resource information. So like anyone who doesn't know can contact us here at the youth agency. and We'll get you in touch with Laura. Thank you for tuning into this month's podcast. Our executive producer is Stacey Cabasa-Callion. Our researcher is Brian Hembrook. This show is produced by Roxanne Adele, and our audio producer is Travis Golino. We're your hosts, Dylan Thomas and Sierra Lynch. Thank you for tuning into this month's podcast. Mm -hmm.